Well, welcome once again to Maple Grove Covenant Church on this Palm Sunday as we continue, almost wrap up our series entitled The Real Jesus. Because all sorts of different people have different ideas about Jesus. Some say he was a great moral teacher. Others say that he was a spiritual leader. Some believe that Jesus was reincarnated. The Muslims believe that Jesus was the greatest person that ever lived, both here now and the life to come. But who is Jesus, really? That's the question that we've been seeking to answer. And why do millions and billions of people around the world, across the cultures, associate themselves with Jesus? That's the question that we've been trying to answer. Who is Jesus? And over the last couple of weeks, couple of months, we've been studying the biography of Jesus according to Mark. And we've learned some wonderful truths about Jesus, that he is the Messiah, the Son of God. He was an amazing teacher, a miracle worker. He raised a girl from the dead, fed the 5,000, cast out a demon off of a young boy, healed people. Just about everybody loved Jesus. And just before he entered Jerusalem, announcing his arrival as king, just before Palm Sunday, Just during this time, right before he he died on a cross and rose from the grave, Jesus did something a little bit strange. In fact, it's a little bit unusual, kind of odd. Jesus had a conversation with a tree. Now, it wasn't a very long conversation. It was actually kind of sharp. It was a little, bit, a little bit strange. You know, you don't want to associate Jesus with a tree hugger. And that wasn't the type of conversation. It was actually a very harsh word that Jesus spoke to a fig tree. Jesus cursed a fig tree. This past week, I, I spoke to a number of different um, horticulturalists and, and master gardeners, and I learned a lot about trees. And one of the things that I learned is that you can tell a lot about a tree based on its fruit. You can tell a lot about the health of a tree based on its fruit. Let me just give you a couple of examples here. I'm just going to throw out a few things here, and I want you to tell me uh, what kind of tree this may have come from. Uh, this, is, this is a, what is this, a banana? It comes from a banana tree. Very good. Coming along here. Okay, this is a orange. It comes from a, thank you, all right. These are a pair of Apples, right, comes from an apple tree. You can tell a lot about a tree based on its fruit. This is a, and it comes from a, a pine, no, it comes from a bush. That's right. Now, I just want to see if Minnesotans knew that, that the actual pineapple comes not from a tree, but from a bush. Well, I was talking to these different horticulturalists, and they said that you can actually tell the, the health of a tree by biting an apple. That, that there are all sorts of things that come into what an apple tastes like, but if you were, if you were, there, there's like the, the water, and then they mentioned the, where the apple is placed on the tree, the direct sunlight or not so direct sunlight, and then there's the pruning and the age of a tree. But if a tree, an apple tree, is stressed or damaged... It affects the taste of the apple. It's not as crispy, it's not as juicy, and it doesn't taste very good. So I just need, anybody like apples, just need someone to taste these apples for me? Anybody, any apple eaters? Okay, we got one over there. So would you mind just t- tasting that apple? 
And then, and then tell me if it's any, any good. Anybody over here, apple eaters? Okay, we got, we got you. This is the day your son was baptized. So you got to take that, all right, as a gift. So go ahead, take a bite of that. and Let me know, is that a healthy apple from that tree? Can you, can you tell me what kind of apple it actually is? It's a honey crisp, all right? So that's a good one. How about Joe? Is that a, is that a healthy apple? Any, any idea what that apple might be? I think it's a golden delicious. Yeah, so, so, so that's, that is what we learn from trees, that you can tell the health of a tree based on its fruit. And on Palm Sunday, like the week before his death and resurrection, Jesus has a conversation with a fig tree. And it's not a very pleasant one. He goes up to a fig tree. He notices a bunch of leaves, but there's no fruit on the tree. And so he curses the fig tree. If you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn to Mark chapter 11. And in Mark chapter 11, we hear not only the story of Jesus cursing a fig tree, but the context for which it is written. So in Mark chapter 11, page 1003 in your pew Bibles, the words will also be on the screen. We're going to hear the story of Jesus' triumphal entry and his conversation with the fig tree and all the drama related to his entrance into Jerusalem. For in order to understand this conversation that Jesus has with his tree, we must understand the context of Mark chapter 11, verse 1. We read the following. As they approached Jerusalem, they came to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives. And Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. You might want to circle that word Bethany in your Bibles. It's on top of the Mount of Olives, about a mile and a half outside of Jerusalem. Bethany and Bethpage are kind of the twin cities of Jerusalem area. They're small little bedroom communities. And, and uh, does anyone remember what happened in Bethany just a few weeks, a couple months ago? Anybody remember who are some of the people that live in Bethany? You got Mary, Martha, Lazarus and Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead just a few weeks, maybe a month or so before this visit. Before this visit, Jesus just announced, I am the resurrection and the life. If anyone believes in me, he will never die. Jesus was pretty popular in Bethany and Bethpage. Everybody loved Jesus. So when Jesus needed a crowd to, to come in to announce his arrival as king, when Jesus needed to ride a donkey, he went to Bethany. He went to Bethany. He very strategically chose Bethany and Bethpage. Verse 7, when they brought the colt to Jesus, they threw their cloaks over it, and he sat on it. And many people spread their coats on the road, and while others spread branches that they had cut in the fields. And those who went ahead and those who, were fo- who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. They sang, Hosanna! Here is our king. They worshipped Jesus as the Lord. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Our Messiah has finally arrived. The king is here. See, Jesus enters 
Jerusalem from the city of Bethany with crowds of people shouting his name, declaring him as king. Now, most kings don't enter a city on a donkey. Most commanders, most warriors don't enter a city or do a victory lap on a donkey. They ride a war horse. They ride a chariot. They ride some, signify, some, some symbol of strength and power. But Jesus enters the city of Jerusalem on a donkey, on a young colt. Why? Why would Jesus? I mean, who rides a donkey into battle? Who rides a small colt into the front lines of a fight? Who rides a donkey as a king? No one, except for Jesus. No one, unless you're willing to enter into a battle to be slaughtered, to give your life as a ransom for many, to sacrifice yourself so that others might be set free. Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem reminds me of what John says about Jesus in Revelation chapter 5. He says this, Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne. I looked for a lion and I saw a lamb. I looked for a mighty military leader with a chariot and a war horse to overthrow the Roman government, and I saw a humble king riding on a donkey, willing to be sacrificed as a lamb. I looked for a lion, and I saw a lamb. This is Jesus. This is the real Jesus, and he enters the center of the city. He's the lion, he's the king, and he's the lamb, willing to sacrifice himself for others. Verse 11, Jesus entered Jerusalem, and he went to the temple courts, and he looked around at everything. But since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. You want to circle that word temple. That also is key to understanding Jesus' conversation with the fig tree. Jesus entered Jerusalem, and he went right into the center of the city, right to the center of the religious, right to the center of commerce. He went to the center of the city. He entered the temple. Now, this is the Passover week. And during the Passover, there would be thousands and thousands of people in Jerusalem, thousands and thousands of people in the temple giving their sacrifices in worship of Yahweh. In fact, the Jewish historian Josephus documents that during one week of the Passover celebration, 255,000 lambs were bought, sold, and sacrificed. 255,000 lambs were bought, sold, and sacrificed at the temple. This was a happening place. This was a loud place. People were coming in and out of the temple. Animals were being sacrificed. A lot of activity. And when Jesus entered into the temple, he looked around. He saw all this activity. And then he went back up to Bethany with the 12, verse 12. And the next day, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus had a conversation with a tree. Seeing that Jesus was hungry... 
And seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went out to it to see if it had any fruit. And when he reached it, he found nothing but leaves, because it was not the season for figs. And then he said to the tree, he talked to the tree, and he said, Man, those are nice-looking leaves. I'm sure one day this tree is going to produce some fruit. Is that what he said? Did he say, man, I really love figs. When is somebody going to figure out fig newtons? I mean, I love figs. Is that what Jesus said? Did Jesus say, you know what? This tree doesn't have any figs because it's not in season yet. What does Jesus say to the fig tree? Jesus said, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. May no one ever eat fruit from you again. He cursed the fig tree. He announced, may no one ever, ever eat fruit from you again. May you never bear fruit again. Isn't this a little strange? Isn't this a little odd that Jesus curses a fig tree? It doesn't really look good for Jesus, right? I mean, I'm, I'm sensing a little anger issues. You know, he's got a bad day at the office, comes home, kicks the dog, curses the fig tree. I mean, I mean, what's going on here with Jesus cursing a fig tree? Now, for those of you that are familiar with figs, you know that there are two seasons that figs are produced in a fig on a fig tree. I I did a little research, talked to some horticulturalists and master gardeners, and and learned that there are two seasons. There's the first season, it's in the mid-summer or spring, when the the fig tree will produce leaves and then a fruit, a berea. It's a smaller fruit from the last year's wood. And then in the fall, the current year's wood will produce the larger fruit, the fig, that sometimes we taste. And it's a healthier, larger, tastier fruit. So in the spring, Jesus first came along. This is when he was there. And that first fruit was most likely for travelers. But the second, the farmers would harvest the fall fruit because you can tell a lot about a tree based on its fruit. And Jesus, from a distance, saw the tree, went up to the tree looking for fruit, but finding nothing. The horticulturist that I, were, that I, that I was speaking to in the research that I did told me that sometimes trees that are dying, trees that are sick or diseased, will have just enough energy to produce leaves, lots of leaves. It'll have lots, a tree full of leaves, but it won't have enough energy to produce fruit. And Jesus noticed that the tree had lots of leaves. It didn't have enough energy to flower and bloom to produce fruit. So he declares the inevitable. This tree is sick. This tree is dying. This tree is dead, although it appears to have the appearance of life, lots of fruit, a little bit of energy, it is, in fact, dead. And after Jesus curses the fig tree, he goes to the temple. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts. He returned to the temple area. 
After checking it out the first night, seeing all the activity, he returned to Bethany, and then he came down to the temple courts, the largest part of the temple, where the white space is the greatest on the screen. He entered into the temple area, the court of the Gentiles, the ethnos, where we get the word ethnicity, and the largest part of the temple, and the place where the Gentiles would go to meet with God, to pray and worship God. And Jesus enters the court of the Gentiles, the, the temple courts, but instead of signing, instead of finding a place of prayer, a place of worship, he finds a madhouse. Thousands of people. Thousands and thousands of people in the temple area buying and selling doves, exchanging money. Remember, 25,000 lambs bought, sold, and sacrificed in the temple. That's about 3,600 sacrifices per day. This is a lively place. People are everywhere. Smells are everywhere. People are, are sacrificing their animals. It's a sight of blood. There's the, there's the smoke and the fire. People are moving around. And Jesus entered into the temple courts in verse 15, when he entered the temple courts, he began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. And he would not allow anyone to carry, mer- not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. He was angry. He was upset. He, he was upset because something he loved was threatened, so he turned over the temple. He turned over the tables. He threw out the money changers. I mean, birds are flying everywhere. Lambs are set free. Chaos in the temple area. Jesus was angry. He was upset. John tells us that he had a whip. And and he may have done this little Clint Eastwood. You know, it says here that he would not allow anyone to carry the merchandise. He's probably standing by the door saying, make my day, right? Make my day. I got a whip. And he's angry. He's upset. And there's chaos that Jesus caused inside the temple. And then he taught the people, verse 17. And he said to them, Is it not written that my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations? But you have made it a den of robbers. Jesus says, This is my house. This is my house. It reminds me of a time when my father and I were watching a football game with some of the neighborhood boys. I grew up in Madison, Wisconsin. Packerville, and my dad was a Bear fan. And they were watching the game, we were all watching the game, and the Bears were losing to the Packers, and my childhood friends got a little bit energized by that and started cheering a little bit too loud, and my father said, this is my house! And he threw them out. (laughs) That's what Jesus says. He says, this is my house! And you're ruining it! You've got all these people trading money doing these sacrifices, going through the motions of religiousity. He says, you're ruining my house. It smells, it's chaotic, it's got all this activity, thousands of people, apparent growth, but it's dead, and he, and he throws them out. He roars like a lion to the religious leaders of the day. He says, you're ruining my house. I designed this to be a place of prayer and worship, and you have made it a den of robbers. And the chief priests, verse 18, and the teachers of the law heard this, and they began looking for a way to kill him. Of course they wanted to kill him, for they feared him. 
Because the whole crowd was amazed at his teachings. The ones that were running the temple, this whole little circus, this whole little enterprise to get money, to oppress the poor, the ones that were supposed to be leading people closer to God, want to kill Jesus. Because they hate him, they despise him. He was a threat to their power, a threat to the system. They wanted him dead. So on Palm Sunday, Jesus enters into the temple triumphantly. He leaves Bethany with crowds of people on a donkey. They announce, here is our king. He enters into the temple courts, his house, and he overthrows the tables. He throws out the the money changers, and the religious leaders want to kill him. And then right in the middle of this dramatic story with all the cheers and all the, the anger, we have this little story about the fig tree. About the fig. And Mark even says it twice, at the beginning and at the end, just so that we don't miss it. He says that the fig tree actually withered and died after Jesus cursed the fig tree. And the question that we must consider this morning is not, why did Jesus curse a fig tree? Because it was dead. It was useless. The question we must consider this morning is, what does the fig tree represent? Who is most like the fig tree? Who has the appearance of life, but is in fact dead? Where do you go in Jerusalem to find lots of activity, thousands of people, animals being sacrificed, smoke being raised, but an empty, hollow religion? It's the temple. The temple. Jesus, coming down from Bethany, saw the temple from a distance. And he saw a lot of activity, a lot of leaves, the appearance of life. People coming in and out, animals being sacrificed. He says, that has the appearance of life, but it is, in fact, dead. It's useless. It's plastic. There's no life in it. The temple has become a den of of robbers, because you can tell a lot about a person based on his fruit. And Jesus says to the religious leaders of his day, and Jesus says to all of us, I don't want your sacrifices. I don't want your busy lives. I don't want your religious activity. You know what I want? Fruit. I want fruit in your life. I want orange, I want apples, I want... This is what I want to see in your life. Fig Newtons. That's what Jesus is looking for in each one of our lives. He says, I'm not interested in twenty. 255,000 animals being sacrificed. I'm not interested in religious activity. I'm not interested in something that appears to have life, but is in fact dead and hollow. I'm looking for fruit. I'm looking for the fruit of love and joy and peace and patience. I'm looking for the fruit. Remember what we talked about a couple weeks ago? 
when Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? He summarized all 613 commandments. He says, the greatest commandment is to love God with all of your heart, all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. He says, I want you to live a life of love. I want to see you loving others in every area of your life. I want to see fruit because it's really easy to have the appearance of life but be in fact dead. It's really easy to look like a tree that has all sorts of leaves, looks like it's going in the right direction. It's really easy to go to religious activities, to go to uh, events and, and to do certain things, but inside you know that you're hollow and empty and dead. So Jesus, the lion, roars. He says, don't be fooled. Don't be fooled by a busy life. Don't be fooled with religious activity. I'm not interested in your sacrifices. I want your fruit. I want your life, your entire life, to be characterized by one word, love. I want you to love me with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. See, Jesus confronts the religious people of his day, and he says, you're fruitless. You're clueless. You've confused religious activity with a life of love. You have all sorts of things going on in your life, but you're empty inside, and I want fruit. I'm looking for fruit I was talking with a college friend of mine this past week, and we were talking about all sorts of things about our lives and, 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 and his job and, and some of the things going on and the, sex, the success that he's experiencing at work and talking about his kids and how he loves his kids. And then he says this phrase, he says, Chad, you know, everything looks good on the outside, but my marriage is a mess. You'd look at our family photo, we're all smiling, but it's dying. It's withering inside. And maybe it's not your marriage. Maybe your marriage is going strong. Maybe it's at work and your business is looking real good. Profits are rising. But you know there's no fruit in your life at work. There's this emptiness. It's, ho- it's hollow. It's shallow. Or maybe it's not your work. Maybe it's some other area, some other relationship. Maybe it's at home with your children. Or maybe it's with your in-laws. Or maybe it's a neighbor. Or maybe it's your relationship with yourself and you know there's this emptiness, there's this hollowness, there's this lack of love. See, that's the place where Jesus enters on Palm Sunday. It's the emptiness. It's the shallow areas of our lives. And like a lion, he roars, I want fruit. I'm looking for fruit inside of your life. And if I don't see it, it's like you're a dead, withering fig tree, that he curses, that he curses, because growth without fruit is dead. Activities without love is dead. He says, I want to see your life of love in every area of your life, not just on Sunday mornings, not just with your family at work, in your neighborhood, in the sports activities, in your schools. I want your life to be characterized by love and joy and peace and patience and kindness. I want your life to be full of fruit. See, Jesus enters into the empty places of our lives, and he roars. 
and he convicts and he confronts us, but he doesn't leave us there because he's not just a lion. He's the lamb. The same God that confronts us is the same God that heals us. The same God that roars is the same God that silently goes to the cross to die for our sins, to die for our emptiness. The God that comes to us with a roar whispers, I love you. I'm here to heal you. I want to make you whole. I want to enter into that empty place in your life and make you whole. This is Jesus, the real Jesus. And on Palm Sunday, before his death and resurrection, he roared to the religious leaders. He roared to the religious people. He says, your life is empty. It's a lot like a fig tree. And I'm here to make you whole. I'm here to heal you and make you whole. I roar not to hurt you, but to heal you. Because the same God that roars is the same God that whispers, I love you. I'm here to make you One of my favorite childhood books is the story of the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe. And there's this wonderful scene where the children are with the beavers. Remember the talking beavers? They have this great English accent. And and the beavers are explaining Aslan. And the the children are asking questions about Aslan. And the beavers are are describing Aslan. And one of the children asks about Aslan, the, 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 the king, the messianic figure, Jesus, they ask, is he safe? And the beavers say, of course he's not safe, but he's good. That's Jesus. Of course he's not safe. He's a lion, but he's good. He's the lamb who goes into those empty places not to hurt us, but to heal us. See, there's only two responses to Jesus. There's only two responses to Jesus on this triumphal entry. Either you love him or you hate him. There's there's no in-between when it comes to Jesus because Jesus always goes to the center of our lives. He always goes to those empty places. And either we respond by saying, I hate you, Jesus, and we're like the religious leaders of the day. We say, hey, I'm out to kill you. I'm just going to keep doing all these good things. I don't need you in my life. Or we say, I love you. I worship you. I see the emptiness in my life, and I need you to heal me and make me whole. See, that's what happened on Palm Sunday. In Mark, I'm sorry, in Matthew, according to Matthew, after Jesus cleared out the temple, in Matthew 21, we read this, the blind and the lame came to him at the temple. The people who knew they were empty and in need of healing, and he healed them. See, that's what Jesus wants to do today. He wants to heal the empty places in our lives. And either we'll say, God, I don't need you. I'm going to be like these religious leaders. I'm going to keep doing my stuff and reject you. Or I'm going to admit my brokenness, my emptiness, my need for healing. And maybe you're here today, and you know that your marriage is not where it should be. And maybe God's word to you is, let me heal your marriage. Or maybe it's your relationship with your children. You know there's an emptiness there. And maybe God's word to you is, let me heal your relationship with your children. Or maybe there's, there's a, a, a relationship at work 
that has no love involved in it. There's no fruit being bore at work, or maybe it's in your neighborhood, or maybe it's your own soul, or maybe it's your relationship with God. You know that there's sin in your life that's preventing you. And Jesus comes and says, I want to heal the area in your life that's fruitless. See, maybe God's word to you this morning is a roar of conviction and a whisper of healing. Because this is Jesus. The real Jesus. He's the lion and the lamb. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for the story of Jesus. The life of Jesus. And a time for us to reflect upon his final week. And Holy Spirit, as we sit in response to the words that we've heard, may you speak to us about those empty places in our lives. And may you lead us not to feel ashamed, but to bring those to you and say, make me whole. Give me life. Replace that empty space with love. Do a work inside of us this Palm Sunday, I pray, as we prepare for Easter. In Jesus' name, amen.